Paul begins here in verse 1, receive one who's weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. Not to dis- not disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. I know some of you uh, have no problem with this one here because uh, uh, those of you that like the verse, rise up, kill and eat, uh, you know, that you know that you can eat anything and uh, I know at least the elders that I serve with uh, are never going to eat only vegetables, but uh, they may have a problem with someone who eats only vegetables, but uh, that would be just uh, messing with them as opposed to really caring. But there's a serious aspect of what Paul's talking about in the, re- in, in the reality of, of people that had come from a society where maybe the meat was uh, given to idols and it was cooked and, and, and their association with Meat was always something related to pagan religion and meat that was cooked to idols. And because of that, uh, they ha- once they come to Christ, they want nothing to do with that former life, and they would assume just eat vegetables. For them, meat has become tainted with their former lifestyle. And, uh, and many of those things that we did before salvation, uh, we felt that they did taint things well beyond just this specific area in and of itself. But Christians, though, it's interesting for all believers. Christians, not long after being forgiven of a lifetime of sin in their own lives and rejection of Christ, can, not too long after being saved and walking with the Lord, can turn their attention to a host of perceived flaws and errors in other Christians. And then, in, in some, will zero in on some theological bent as well. You'll find that this, it talks about here disputes over doubtful things. Uh, and this can become a very misguided focus, again, walking around with a really uh, a constant spiritual bent that you're looking to uh, explain or, or looking to uh, help everyone else understand, uh, or looking at other Christians and constantly assessing uh, what you believe or flaws in their Christian walk, and it's not our calling in Christ to scrutinize and assess the liberties that we do collectively have in Christ, nor is it our calling to hammer away at theological positions, which seems to be a favorite Christian pastime, doesn't it? Especially when you have various denominations, you know, that when D.L. Moody was um, over in England, here he was, the Holy Spirit was just blessing everywhere he went. Uh, one particular gentleman, I won't, even, I won't even state the theological position because that in and of itself creates dis- and anxiety in some of you. But one gentleman with a very strong theological position actually wrote a whole pamphlet to discredit D.L. Moody's entire ministry and was really angry that people were even going and listening to this man. Of course, people were getting saved. I mean, people were repenting of some, sometimes two and three generations of families were saved and baptized, but that still wasn't enough because Moody didn't hold to a certain theological position. And this is what Paul is talking about, that we would have these kind of disputes. Have you ever been drawn into a theological debate or an argument? I have at times, and I actually think there's room. It's not wrong to have some theological debate and argument, some. But just like with your own family, 
it's one thing to have a little disagreement, but it can go way too far, can it? Uh, most of you with kids, you see this happen almost every day, right? I'll let them just dispute over this. It's not that bad. But then it can continue to go and continue to go, and then it escalates. And people's pride gets in the way. And, and on top of the fact they're pride, they just don't, sometimes don't really know as much as they think they know. And we have these disputes that take place. We can get drawn into them. Be careful, though, that it doesn't become some ongoing dispute or uh, it doesn't create new tension and new uh, issues within relationships. There was an anonymous quote published in 1950 in a published essay called Logic, an introduction, and the quote went like this, your argument is sound, nothing but sound. You like that? Your argument is sound, nothing but sound. And if we constantly correct people for unimportant things and make points needlessly or needless points, and we campaign our views over and over again, then we become just noise to people, don't we? I mean, you're going to avoid someone who's constantly wants to argue with you, constantly wants to nitpick everything. And there is, there is a room and a place, <laughs> again, for really investing in people's lives and helping people mature. That's called discipleship. We, we do want to do that. But it's not beneficial, it's not fruitful to look in people's lives that they have a specific conviction and you're trying to convince them they don't need to have it. Right? That's one thing if they want your opinion to ask about it. Or you think that they don't have a right to do something that's not a scriptural, uh, it's not some scriptural uh, essential. And we'll, we'll get into what these things are because I know that, again, this can be, uh, in the outset here, you're probably just as confused as we started with. And that's okay. We'll go through it. This will make sense. When you understand the context from which Paul writes, it will become clearer as we go through. Does what you say, though, to people, think about it this way. Do you say things to people that build them up, that encourages them, that strengthens them, that causes them to look at things scripturally, that lightens their load, that brings joy, that helps them have a stronger walk with the Lord, that allows them to hear more from the Holy Spirit? Is that the way you interact with other believers, or is it looking for dirt? helping them come to your way of thinking in every area. Nitpicking convictions, all of these things. These things, Paul says, be careful. Don't do the, who are you, in verse 4, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. There's a wide range of things in the Christian life that are going to be different, even among denominations. Everyone's not like Calvary Chapel. I know we're the most perfect, <laughs> but we're not completely perfect. We're just the most perfect. Everybody else is like a distant second to us. Some of you think I'm serious. I'm kidding. If you're visiting, I, I don't mean that at all. <laughs> we have our flaws. And usually, like you're, you personally, we don't even know our flaws as well as we should. Some of them we know, but some of them we're not even aware of. Everyone else knows them. 
and they love you enough not to really tell you about them. And that's really true. You know, a lot of people's flaws will go away over time as they walk with the Lord. Did you know that? Some of you say, I- I've lived with this person for 40 years. This is not true. <laughs> it's not true in every case and in every flaw. But most flaws over time, if they really are saved, they really know the Lord, God will move them along. I know we want to help move them a little quicker. We want to accelerate the process. That's why God gave you children. You can do that all you want with them, but not other adults. Usually doesn't work the same way. For whatever reason, we seem to gravitate. When we think liberty, when we think about the word liberty, when when people in the body of Christ think about the word liberty, they seem to gravitate to one of two areas, and both are not where you want to be. Uh, The first one is the enabler. Anything goes. That is not what Paul is saying. And I can prove it to you and will in just a moment. He's not saying anything goes. So this means as you're Christian, you can do anything you want. We have liberty to do anything. Nope, that's definitely not what Paul is saying. And then you have the other, the enforcers. The enablers, anything goes to the enforcers. When you do it like I do it, you'll finally be right. The enforcers and the enablers. We gravitate to those two areas. The Lord wants us to be neither of those, but in the middle. We're not the enabler, anything goes. We're not the enforcer. When you get to my way of thinking, you'll finally have arrived. You should see when we get like 26 pastors in the same room. It's great. I like to sit back, just watch. And I I like to spin something up sometimes just to get them going. Because they all have strong positions in certain areas. But I learned something in different, I I actually, when I hear different viewpoints, I actually learn something. I try to. I hope that you do as well. Because even though people that have a different conviction, you, you can still learn something from them. You have to be humble about that. But in Christ, we have liberty in a wide range of areas. But liberty, again, requires balance. And where do we find that balance? Only in walking in the Holy Spirit. That's it. You can't, find, you can't find the balance of liberty and not walk in the Holy Spirit. If you don't walk in the Spirit, you'll be a hyper-enabler or a hyper-enforcer or something worse. When you walk in the Spirit, it gives the balance of liberty. Liberty is definitely not a license to do whatever we want. This is not what Paul is saying. Any Christian can do anything they want. doesn't matter because Paul said in the 14th chapter, who are you to judge another one's servant? I read it myself. We'll get to why that would be taken completely out of context. Even Jesus did not do what he wanted to do. He did what? The will of the Father. He did not do what he wanted to do. My ball, I'll take it where I want to. He did the will of the Father. And yet... Even though we're given liberty, we still, again, especially if you have that enforcer mentality, we have to be gracious, especially with immature and young believers. Especially with immature and young believers. They're growing, they're learning, they oftentimes can think, this is, a, and this is a good problem to have. This isn't a bad problem to have. When a new believer thinks that almost everything is wrong, that's a better problem to have than almost everything is right. 
And so sometimes new believers, and Paul speaking of them here, notice the context. One believes he may eat all things, one, weak only, one who's weak only eats vegetables. Now Paul knows if you offer food to an idol, the idol isn't real. The idol's not really a god. It cannot heal people. It cannot raise the dead. It cannot do the things that Jesus... So Paul's like, if you've got a steak and you're not eating it, I'll take it. But someone who's seen that steak was offered to an idol, they want no part of that. Oh, no, no, no. That will defile me. I'm clean now. I'm in Christ. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be defiled. You know, somebody else might you know, say... Um, Hey, let's uh, let's all go. Let's all go out to dinner, so and so place, and and uh, just the mere thought of Shaco Bottom says, no, I, I don't even go. In, I will not go. I don't go within ten miles of Shaco Bottom. I used to get drunk there. Uh, you might say, well, it's just a cobblestone street. Uh, there's no, it, 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 there's not. It's not e- more evil. Matter of fact, there's evil in your own neighborhood. I don't care. And that's a conviction that. It's better. I would much rather have someone that when they first get saved, in the weakness of their faith, they don't want anything to do with anything that related to even remotely touched their former life. And this is part of what Paul's talking about. And to have patience and to be gracious and understand uh, someone that's in that position. Now, he is also talking about being careful not to uh, enforce, again, your personal convictions, something that the Lord has has put on your heart. We'll get to what some of those things are in just a second, but I want to uh, draw your attention back to uh, the 2020 rule. For those of you that were here, you remember uh, I mentioned when you think about studying the Bible, the 2020 rule, so you don't take context out of, uh, or take a text out of context, which becomes a pretext. Uh, you don't want to take any text out of context. 2020 rule, 20 verses above, 20 verses below. We know that Paul when you look at the context here, is not saying for a moment that liberty allows for doing anything you want and, oh, by the way, you can sin and, and choose any lifestyle you want and don't let anyone judge you for your lifestyle. You can do anything you want because you have liberty. We know that that does not mean, that doesn't mean, uh, or Paul does not mean that at all. Look back at the previous verse in chapter 13. Remember when this is written, it was not written in chapter form. This was a continuous letter or epistle. Go back to, uh, for example, uh, verse 9. For you know the commandments, verse 9 of chapter 13. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. I pastor a church. If someone is lying about all of you, and I hear it, and I continue to hear someone, I would have to say something to them. I wouldn't have said, well, they're right. Paul said uh, not to judge, and they want to lie about everything. No. So we know that's not what he's talking about. He's clearly said, you know the commandments. All are summed up. You should love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on in verses 11, 12, and 13, chapter 13. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Uh, put on the arm. Let us walk properly in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness in lewdness and lust and strife and envy. If I see someone that I know is in Christ doing these things, if I love them, I absolutely will say something. Have I therefore, Paul himself wrote, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. So we know he's not talking about sin 
a lifestyle that is against the commandments of God, he's talking about areas that we do have liberty. We don't have liberty. Uh, we do not have the liberty to go back to a life of lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, immorality, drunkenness. Peter said we spent enough of our past lifetime doing those things. Uh, thank God that we have the Holy Spirit. We don't want to do those, at least as a practice, although random thoughts can still come into our heads, can't they? Of anything that was in our past. But we have been given a spirit of the Lord. We have the mind of Christ. We don't want to go back to these things. But if somebody were to go back to these things, that is totally different. There is no liberty to go back to sin, but there is liberty within the body of Christ to have different ways of working through our faith. He talks about here food, and he talks about specific days. Now, who is Paul writing to? Well, he's writing to both Jews and Gentiles. Uh, remember that there was a good number of Jewish um, uh, believers in Rome, but there was also Gentile believers as well, just as there was in the early church. Uh, they had the Gentile believers. Remember uh, the, the, those that were bothered that uh, the daily food distribution, those of the Hellenists, which would be the Greeks or the, or the Gentiles, were not receiving their distribution. And of course, you had the Jewish believers there in Jerusalem, same as in Rome, uh, both Jews and Gentiles. And you have two different issues when both Jew and Gentile will get saved as it relates to days, specifically for the Jew, the Sabbath day. You know the commandments. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. The Sabbath was the seventh day. They went by a lunar calendar. So the seventh day, if you were Jewish and you came to faith in Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the Lord is salvation, if you're here with us on Sunday, if you came to faith in Yeshua, you still felt, you know, even though I now follow Christ, I must keep the Sabbath, the seventh day, must keep the Sabbath. And Paul said, hey, if the, the new believer who's Jewish wants to keep the Sabbath, let them keep the Sabbath. Do not get your Bible and prove to them, you can come here on Sundays. If they want to worship on the Sabbath, let them worship on the Sabbath. If they still feel that way 50 years from now, that's fine too. If they've changed their mind in five years and now they're okay with worshiping on Sunday, the first day of the week, which by the way, our calendar Gregorian doesn't, it, it doesn't match up anyway. First day of the week on a lunar calendar, seventh day of the week, again, it's going by the, the cycle of the moon. Whereas we have first day of the week is Sunday, last day of the week is Saturday, which doesn't necessarily. But in the best way, even Jewish, uh, Jewish Americans will still use Saturday as the Sabbath. They're following the Gregorian calendar, not the, not the lunar or the Hebrew calendar. But they're, <laughs> so it's kind of an almost Sabbath, uh, if, when you look at it that way, uh, by going with Saturday. Uh, I've even met Christians that are not Jewish, that believe church should be on a, on a Saturday. And, again, people can get very bent out of shape over this debate. Then I have my, but, but you can have a relate, like my brother Sam Nadler, and you guys have all met Sam. Sam's church meets on Saturday. Our church meets on Sunday. Me and Sam are still good friends. I would be glad to teach at his church on a Saturday, and you know he teaches our church on a Sunday. We have no issue with the fact that for Saturday, that's his choice. Sunday is our choice. 
Some of you might be fine with Saturday. You might say, hey, I kind of like that idea. I have some of my Gentile friends down in Charlotte go to Sam's church. They love Saturday church. That's what they do. But again, some, some newer Jew in Rome could be really disturbed that their Jewish friends were not meeting on the Sabbath. And, you know, when Paul gets there, they, you know, they might run up to Paul. Here's a brand new believer. You're not going to believe this. Paul says, what is it? You and I are Jewish, Paul. Uh-huh. Well, there's about 25 of us, our people, who are meeting on Sunday. Slap them into shape, Paul. Jews meet on, sat- on the Sabbath day. And Paul would then say, it's okay, it's okay. You and I will keep meeting on Saturday, let them meet. And just kind of break it in easy. Then you have the Gentiles. They have a different issue with days. They, while they were Gentiles, they observed different festivals that were pagan that were set to certain days. Some of them also were aligned with lunar calendars and things like that, new moon festivals and things. And so they come from a background in paganism that certain days were high holy days for some reason or, or uh, they had some pagan value. And if when they got saved, they wanted nothing to do with those days. And they could not consider those days valid to even ever have anything holy on. And other people were okay and say, hey, I don't care. I'm in Christ now. God sanctifies every day. And so you have both at different places. And Paul's like, hey, this is not a battle to fight. (laughs) Allow people, give them grace. If they think one day is better than another day. And praise the Lord, God does give grace in this because, you know, in our church, we have, what, three or four nurses here. We have some people in medical professional. You know, some people's jobs don't allow them to come here on Sunday. Some people, some of you, uh, your Wednesday is your Sunday, if you will. Uh, I still believe that it's good in the spirit of the Lord to have yourself a Sabbath. Some people say the whole week is my Sabbath. I mean, again, that's something between you and the Lord. Paul's clear on this. And we know that um, the spirit of what God wants us to do as far as meeting together, remember the children of Israel, when the Sabbath was given, that one day a week they were not to work at all. They could not work. They would only take that day. They would, they would have to go to worship, go to the temple, go to the tabernacle, worship the Lord, and have a meal of the family, and rest the whole day which is a really good thing. We know that if you get a full day of rest, you will be healthier the most of your life if you actually take one day to actually rest. It's the same principle as giving you know, fields rest after the seventh year and you know, all of these things. God has a purpose in it. But we also have grace. You know, If you had to go home on Sunday and vacuum the house, you are not going to hell now, right? Because you have neighbors coming over and you wanted to be clean. Well, I can't do that because we're not under the Sabbath law. The Sabbath was the seventh. If you really want to keep the Sabbath according to the law, get your lunar calendar out and start following it, right? It's the only commandment that Jesus did not enforce. As a matter of fact, he kind of pushed the issue. Notice how many times he did miracles on the Sabbath. And that really bothered, really bothered the religious leaders, didn't it? But he was establishing the fact that in him, Christ is our Sabbath. Now, this doesn't mean that we ignore gathering together because the scriptures, again, 
handle that as well. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, the true Christian, we don't have to worry about them. Will they keep a day? The longer they're saved, they'll want to get together believers more, not less. More as you see the day approaching. You would not have to convince them, you guys really should get together one day a week. Now, the thing is, Paul says, you will, you should, and want to get together and assemble together, but it doesn't matter if you choose Saturday or Sunday or Wednesday, and if you fellowship more than that, all the better. The word liberty in the Greek here, elithria, it says to do or to omit things having no relationship to salvation. This was the context at least the Apostle Paul had it in. Uh, that Again, things that have no relationship, omitting things that have no relationship to salvation. We have liberty in those things that don't relate to holiness, sanctification, salvation. We have liberty in these other areas. In living for the Lord, we do have grace from the Lord that allows us to still have our personalities, right? Isn't that great? You want everyone to be exactly like you? Exactly like you. What a boring world that would be, wouldn't it? If everyone was exactly like me or exactly like you, but we do have preferences. The Lord gives us liberty. We have different likes and dislikes, and I don't understand this one, although I do. I, I think I get it a little bit. I don't understand it completely, I mean. Why God allows in the body of Christ different convictions. You would think that it would make sense that we would all have the exact, I mean, no single difference in convictions, and I think I know why. It's kind of the same as in our marriages. We have to humble ourselves, don't we? We have to humble ourselves. That's the main reason, because God knows that they're not, some of them are not that important in the scheme of atonement, sanctification, walking in the Spirit, but God gives you something that really matters to you that doesn't necessarily matter as much to somebody else, but it comes down to, I believe, he's teaching us humility and learning to be gracious. These are some of the things that, and again, I won't know the full answer of that until we get to heaven. By the way, many of the things that you have liberty in today and other people have liberty in will change over the course of your lifetime. How many of you are long enough in the Lord you, would already, you've, you can attest that already? Something you used to have liberty in, God no longer gives you liberty anymore. He took it away. You, well, I used to be able to. Let's take a classic one, alcohol. I've seen people come full circle. The second they're saved, I will not, I shall not, no, never, ever, ever again will a drop of alcohol touch my lips. Ten years later, after studying the Bible, they're like, I didn't realize that a glass of wine is not a sin. So I think I'll have one. Five years later, after they've run into some trouble, they're back to, I will not have it again. I've seen people come full circle. I've seen people go a couple of different times through it. Conviction was there, then it wasn't, then back. And it's related to where you're at. You will have 
different levels of liberty. By the way, if you're going to, if you're going to really be useful for the Lord, you want to always kind of know what your surroundings are. You can't even have the same liberties if you want to go serve Lord in Nepal or India or China. You're going to have to put some liberties away. Amen? Because they're not all going to, they're not all going to fly well <laughs> in other cultures. So the Lord's going to uh, change some of these things over time. Some of them, just as you mature in the Lord, you become wise with age and you realize, why did I really care about this so much? I got in arguments about it. I got upset about it. I lost sleep a couple of times over this, right? I read way too many blogs and searched the internet to find all the proof that, that backed my position, and now I don't even care anymore. Why? You ever been there? These are the things that, over time, God will change. God may allow you to purchase something that the other person, God says, you can't buy that. You can't. I, I personally, even when I, you know, for six years when I was still in the business world um, and I was pastoring this church, there were times where I could have afforded to upgrade my vehicle and then the Lord told me don't because it, it just don't do it. Now that was a personal conviction for me. I couldn't care less if you go drive a Mercedes, which by the way, I couldn't have afforded that, didn't want that. But I'm just, I'm just, God will have a conviction for one that doesn't apply to everybody else. Now, if you go get a Ford 250 extra cab truck or something like that, I might be a little jealous. But anyway, we'd have different, again, something that's okay that God will give you is not the same as someone else. There's a host of things this applies to. You invite someone to a local restaurant, has the name Ale House in it, they will not come, possibly. Someone else, that, uh, that's not problematic. They say, how in the world does that bother you? You have to have, again, that grace and understand where people are at and realize that the Lord is still working on someone. These are not something, these are not the things to get all hung up on. Paul's like, don't, don't, uh, don't get into disputes over these. These are doubtful things. They're not all that important. And where they are important, God will change them over time. He'll change their mind on these things. They'll come to see, well, I, I put way too much emphasis on that. I didn't have enough emphasis on that. You know, some people see no value in a group of guys, Christian men, gathering to watch a football game. What a total waste of time. Or guys, get, you know, ladies going to see a movie together. That's okay. If you don't see value in it, don't do it. Other people, it's okay for them. It's not a sin. Now, some things you could go watch are sinful. Would you agree with that? There's some things Christians should never go watch. And if you tell me something that I know is filth, I probably will tell you, what are you thinking? You're watching a demon whatever something? <laughs> so it's like there's things that we shouldn't. But again, in essence, like a movie, a sporting event, this, in context, those things are not a big deal. You need to be careful uh, that we don't, again, put our convictions on someone else. We have some warnings. Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 9 says, be, But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Again, uh, when we have our liberty, 
and we realize, hey, this is okay for me, but you've got a new believer, and they're watching your every move, and you don't care, then now your liberty has become sin. You have to be really, really... Joe Foch, uh, you know, he, he takes a very strong, up in Calvary, Philly, he takes a very strong stance. He's tried to, you know, at least preaching to us pa- as pastors about, you know, he really believes that, you know, mature Christian men, that alcohol is a big problem. And he, he, has, he, can, he, he came from an alcoholic family. His family were all alcoholics. And he makes a strong case that he's like, you know, if you're going to, he goes, I just don't understand what, you know, as far as stumbling. Now, he's not dogmatic. He's not going to, you know, if you, if you, uh, you know, if he came to your house and you had a glass, he's not going to be personally offended. It doesn't really mess him up. He's concerned about younger believers. And that's just one area. And it's true. If your liberty becomes, and you, you say, well, I have all the liberty in the world, uh, if they don't know that this is right, then their problem, then obviously you're not walking in love now, right? Because love cares for our brother. Peter warns the same thing in 1 Peter 2.16. He says, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. You know, really whatever the Lord wants you to be doing. And the main thing I think uh, is when it comes to liberty and uh, kind of observing our brothers and sisters the old adage, when in doubt, don't. You've heard that one? When in doubt, I wonder if this could cause a problem for my kids. I wonder if this could pro- cause a problem for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I wonder how people, I wonder, you know, it, a lot of times we'll talk ourselves out of things. I like say, well, that shouldn't matter. But when you, uh, it, it is true that um, perception is reality. True? A lot of times, perception is reality. It's not always reality, but many times perception is reality. And when I recognize, you know, even though I'm doing nothing, that I have any personal conviction, I might have an area where the Lord says, not today. I can't even think of anything. I'm just, in the, in the past, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, again, you could be on a business trip, and you don't have a personal conviction about a glass of wine. 20-some people at the table. They all order one, and God tells you on that night, don't touch it. Why, Lord? Because you're going to get a witnessing opportunity later that you'll blow. If, and you need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. Or there's a young guy that just got saved there, and he sees you, and now he realizes, well, if I, and, the whole, and it just takes him off course. Walking in love. When in doubt, don't. If the Holy Spirit knocks on your heart and says, no, no, don't buy that. It's going to be a problem. Don't do that. It's going to stumble somebody. We must be listening. Number two, our lives. That was our liberty. Our lives. There's only two verses we're looking at, verse 7 and 8. For none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. Isn't that the truth? For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. No man is an island. We all heard that. And it's true. No man is an island. Our lives are either live positively to affect people, or we will negatively affect people. I can tell you where I want to be, and I hope that you would all want to be in the same place. We're either ministering to people, or we are the ministry. <laughs> we're receiving the ministry. We're either giving out, or we're pulling in, or taking in. Our lives will always impact others. Always. Everybody's life impacts other people's lives. 
and we want to impact the lives of others in a way that honors the Lord. But again, we don't live to ourselves. We don't even die to ourselves. We want to be Christ-centered, not self-centered. Again, self-centered says, I have liberty. I can do what I want. This isn't a sin. I can prove it. I've got 56 verses to back me up. That may be true, but not in this moment. You still, the Holy Spirit's saying no. The Holy Spirit's saying restraint, even though you're allowed to, do not. Because this brother has a strong conviction, and you know it, and you seem to not care. That would not be Christ-centered. That would be self-centered. We don't even belong to ourselves, according to the Scriptures. Listen to this quote from Andrew Murray. talks about kind of our self-centeredness. He said, we have within us a self that has its poison from Satan, from hell, and yet we cherish and nourish it. What do we not do to please self and nourish self? And we make the devil within us strong. Look at your own life. What are the works of hell? They are chiefly these three. Self-will, self-trust, and self-exaltation. Self-will, self-trust, self-exaltation. Pride is at the center of all of them. Pride's at the center of the disputes. Pride's at the center of I'll do what I want to do. Pride's at the center of self-will, self-trust, self-exaltation. Our liberty is not for ourself. It's not. Our liberty is to listen to the Holy Spirit and to love and serve God and to love and serve others. I said hopefully these things will become more clear. I'm hoping that they are. We have been set free from self-love, we drift back to it, don't we? <laughs> see, we've been set free from self-love, but we re-grab the handcuffs and put them back on on ourselves. Jesus never puts the handcuffs of self-love back. He said, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So any time we re-handcuff self-interest, self-love, self-gratification... It didn't come from the Lord. We've reapplied it ourselves. We've been set free from self-love and self-centeredness if, this is a big if, if we abide in Christ and walk and remain in the Holy Spirit. If we abide in Christ and walk in the Spirit, we're set free. We're kept free from self-love, loving ourselves so much that we just, again, use our liberty as vice or lord over people and become the enforcer. In either case, wrong attitude. The Holy Spirit wouldn't have it that way. But our freedom from sin is then exchanged. We're, we're no longer in bondage to sin, but we become the bondservants of who? Jesus. We were the bondservant of sin or self-love, and we become the bondservant of Christ. So it's exchanged as a servant of Christ. If you're here the last couple of Sundays, Mary, she said, called herself the handmaid of the Lord, what did that mean? She said, your servant girl. How many of you consider yourself God's servant man, servant lady, servant boy, servant girl? I even like that Mary, now Mary was young, so servant girl made closer sense to her age. But uh, God calls us children, so it's okay for me to say servant boy. Because to God, I'm a little boy. True? You're all children to God. 
And we have to even become like a little child even to come into Christ, don't we? And we need to have that humility of saying, Lord, everything you have, you've given me. Yes, you give me liberty, but it all belongs to you. Paul said he would give up meat if he had to. He completely, and he, apparently he liked steak because he didn't care that it was offered to idols. But he said he would give up meat if he had to, not to stumble any brothers and sisters in Christ. What would you give up if God says give it up just because it could stumble someone? There's no telling <laughs> what he might ask. Some of them won't make sense to you. It's just God seeing the surrendered heart. Are we really remembering that we don't live to ourselves? We live to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. We die to ourselves spiritually, and eventually when we die, we'll go to be with the Lord. But we already die to ourselves spiritually now to be one and in harmony with Christ and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We're bought with a price. James 1.25, For he who looks into the perfect law of liberty continues in it is not a, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Our, our blood-bought freedom delivered us from the law's requirement of perfection, which is now found in Christ. And we've been given grace and liberty to be doers of the Lord's will. Doers of the Lord's will, not our will. We don't live to ourselves. We don't make our own decisions. We allow the Lord to guide our decisions. He, Lord, are you okay with this? Yes, you have liberty to do that. It's not, hey, I'm going to do these things, and God, hey, here's my list. This is what I've decided is okay for me. And it's like, Lord, are you okay? Because he's the master. I'm the servant. Asking him, is this all right? Lord, are you okay? Would this be a hindrance to anyone? Is this good? Is this beneficial? Is it fruitful? Is it going to help? I'm going to live to the Lord, and I have to die to my flesh now. And ultimately, when I die, if I've been dying to my flesh now, great will be my reward. And we don't have time to get to my last point, our Lord. I'm going to have to save that till next Wednesday because I'm up against the time. So I'm going to fit uh, verses, um, uh, our last section, our Lord, in with uh, the last few verses of this chapter, uh, which is fine because we're going to be in the law of love, and I'll, I'll be recovering. Paul has a lot of repetitive themes in the last several verses anyway. So let's go ahead and close in prayer there. We'll pick up where we left off around verse 9. I, I knew I had to spend extra time <laughs> on, on liberty because it really is, it is a misunderstood concept uh, for people that read this passage. Uh, it is not licensed. It is not to be a judgmental spirit, but it does not mean that we also don't write, the, you know, Paul would say the spiritual man rightly judges all things. But a right judgment, uh, how many would you would think, and I'll close with this thought, how many think Jesus rightly judges all things? He made all kinds of judgments. He made judgments of the Pharisees, judgments of the scribes, judgments of Israel as a nation, judgments of the nations around them, judgments of situations. We're given the same spirit of Christ. Paul's the one that said that right here in the book of Romans. We have the spirit of Christ. Christ wants us to make right judgments, but right judgments done in the Holy Spirit are still carried with graciousness, Love, 
compassion, understanding. We don't flip out about unimportant things. We don't continue to harp on them. But we also don't condone things that really are wrong, and we are people that stand in the gap. And so Paul's like, the balance is you won't major in the minors, but you will be a spirit-filled, useful, you know, servant of the Lord in all situations. And you'll always put the Lord's will and the way other people are going to feel above your own self-interest, right? And why well, I was really counting on doing this. And God says, well, not today. Okay. And that's what being a servant is. Amen.